Welcome to the new Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller from WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony and he provides commentary on the WMHT live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live. On WMHT-FM, your classical companion. The Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert Broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. Our concert began with an absolutely riveting piece by one of our nation's leading composers, a phenomenal composer who happens to live and work right here in the Hudson Valley. I'm speaking about Joan Tower, who, of course, has been for many years a distinguished professor at Bard College, right down the river from Albany and Troy. And the work that begins our concert is a, a work that's only about a little more than 10 years old. It's called tambor. Tambor is the Spanish word for drum, and it's a piece that's based entirely on the idea of the percussion it being, as being the center of the orchestra. Joan was not actually born in South America, but she grew up there. She was born... I believe in New Rochelle, New York, but when she was nine years old, her father, who I guess was an engineer, perhaps a mining engineer, moved the family to Bolivia. And it was in Bolivia that uh, Joan really grew up from the age of nine until she came back to the States for college. She lived and grew up and went to school in Bolivia, and her music, a great deal of it, is very much informed by uh, the experiences she had in her childhood there. So her music is not only based on percussion music, but it always has a kind of Latin sensibility to it. In this piece, a piece that was premiered by the Pittsburgh Symphony and commissioned by them, Joan opted to use a four-member percussion section playing all manners of instruments, a great number of instruments with very elaborate setups, as the sort of emotional core of the piece, if you will. And uh, the piece is really about turning the entire orchestra into a gigantic percussion orchestra. Joan wrote in her program note that it didn't begin that way, that the orchestra initially was going to do rather different things from the percussion, but the rhythms of the percussion instruments so ran the piece and so dictated the way she created it that what began to happen was that the non-percussion instruments in the creation of the piece began to function more and more like percussion instruments in this sense, in that they often play repeated rhythmic patterns and, and often double, often play the same rhythms as one of the percussionists who in essence underlines what they're doing. And so instead of playing very melodic lines, what begins to happen is that the entire orchestra turns into this gigantic, very interesting rhythmic band. At the same time, because the instruments make sounds, make tones, there's a lot of tonal color to the piece. It's almost as if you've taken a, a percussion ensemble or a percussion piece and then completely highlighted it with all sorts of orchestral color. It's about a 15-minute tone poem and a very thrilling and exciting, albeit very difficult piece, a piece that involves a great deal of, of mixed meter in which the orchestra goes back and forth from one time signature to another. Here it is. It features the Albany Symphony's superb percussion section. This is Joan Tower's tambor for orchestra. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. That was Joan Tower's tambour for orchestra, featuring the Albany Symphony's percussion section with the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. Next on our program was an exciting new work, uh, a work that we were all very proud to have been 
not just part of, but really instrumental in the creation of. Just to back up for a moment, this piece grew out of a a set of residencies that were sponsored by uh, a program called the Music Alive Residency Program. This is a set of extended orchestral residencies for leading American composers that uh, was created by and supported by the League of American Orchestras, the parent organization of all the orchestras in the country, and a wonderful composer advocacy group in New York City called Meet the Composer, which really does more to promote American composers than any other group in the country or the world. And uh, the League and Meet the Composer got together and created these three-year residencies, and orchestras were invited to apply, usually with a single composer. But I felt since the Albany Symphony does so much with so many composers, it would be particularly exciting for us to have four composers as our resident composers. So over the past three years, ending last spring, the orchestra did, in fact, we were awarded one of these great uh, residencies, and we had four resident composers, of whom Dorothy Chang was one. And as part of the residency, the orchestra played a number of pieces of each composer and commissioned new works and recorded some works. But perhaps the most important and I think enduring aspect of the residency program was that we insisted that each of the four composers create a rather involved and ornate school education outreach program in which they went into schools and really shared the magic of composing with students. Dorothy partnered with a beautiful pair of schools in the Avril Park School District, Post and Kill Elementary and George Washington Elementary, both of which have as their music teacher an extraordinary lady named Martha Bovey, who's been there for many years. And over two years, Dorothy and Martha and the students created an absolutely astounding essentially oratorio for children's chorus with narration about a very important part of the fourth grade curriculum that they were studying at the time they began this project, New York's Erie Canal, the creation of the Erie Canal. And what happened is in the first year, uh, Dorothy came and talked about composing to the students, and they created poems and uh, little prose pieces about life on the canal and sent them to Dorothy. And over the summer, she fashioned these amazing writings of these fourth grade students into a set of five songs with narration attaching them one to the other. And then in the second year, Dorothy worked with the students to, in essence, compose five magnificent songs for children's chorus, and at that time, three instruments, a a, a clarinet, a cello, and a piano. And at the end of that year, which I guess is now two years ago, a little more than two years ago, the students and Martha gave an amazing performance at George Washington Elementary. Both the kids from Post and Kill and George Washington got together with this little trio and a slideshow and incredible narration all written by and given by the students and performed this amazing Erie Canal oratorio, essentially telling about the creation of the canal. Well, I went to hear this project, and and I was so overwhelmed by the power of it and the beauty of it and the fact that Dorothy had really put composition in the hands of these students. Uh, She did a lot of workshops with them, and while I think in hindsight she may have done the vast majority of the composing, in the way she worked with the students, I remember sitting in one class where I had the distinct feeling that I had written one of the songs, even though I was only a little cog in this big wheel of Dorothy and the students figuring out how to write a piece. She came into the class with one of these wonderful texts. This happened to be the fourth song, The Mule's Lament, the story of the canal from the the point of view of a mule who's forced to drag a barge down the canal all day. And uh, it's a very brilliant little song. Uh, And she had brought the poem and brought five or six different possible kinds of music that could accompany. First, a happy one. How does that work? No, the kids didn't think that was so good. Then a, a rather angry one. No, that didn't seem right. And finally, a very tired one. And the kids and I decided that was a good one. So, so I really had the feeling that we had co-composed, although in hindsight, I think perhaps Dorothy did most of the work. So the piece was so magnificent when I saw this performance that I immediately asked Dorothy and Martha whether we could 
commissioned Dorothy to orchestrate the piece for full orchestra and present these students on one of our subscription concerts. Well, they both enthusiastically embraced that idea. And so now, two years later, we're finally able to give the full orchestral premiere of this amazing piece. I should mention that uh, one of the difficult challenges of working with fourth and fifth graders is that they very quickly turn into sixth and seventh graders. So those original fourth graders are now seventh graders. And rather than try to pull a bunch of middle schoolers together, you know how difficult their schedules can be, Martha opted to use her current fifth grade class. So as our soloists in this next performance, we have 86 fifth graders, currently students at Post and Kill and George Washington Elementary Schools in the Avril Park School District, all led ably by their brilliant music teacher, Ms. Martha Bovey. So here now is the world premiere performance of the orchestral version of Dorothy Chang's Erie Canal for Children's Chorus and Orchestra. The orchestra is the Albany Symphony, and it's conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. The major work on the second half of the concert and our closing work is none other than George Gershwin's monumental Concerto in F, with Kevin Cole as the soloist, along with the Albany Symphony. This work is an amazing piece, especially when one considers that George was barely uh, 26 or 27 years old when he wrote it. You probably remember that uh, the Rhapsody in Blue was completed in 1924 and premiered on February 12, 1924, in that legendary Aeolian Hall concert, which was subtitled An Experiment in Modern Music. It was on that evening that George, already a very well-known Broadway songwriter, very successful one, sort of burst onto the classical music scene with this new work, The Rhapsody in Blue, which seemed better than ever, than any piece before or frankly since, to fuse that new, exciting music of the people, jazz music, with the grand symphonic tradition. Well, in the audience that afternoon was none other than Walter Damrosch, the conductor of the New York City Symphony, which later would merge with another orchestra to create what's now known as the New York Philharmonic. And Damrosch was so impressed by Gershwin that he almost immediately went back to his board of directors and said, we must commission this young fellow, then only 25 years old at the time, to write a proper concerto for symphony orchestra. And he, in fact, did just that. Now, he did it with a a lot of resistance because uh, people in his organization thought that this young upstart was nothing more than a a Broadway flash in the pan who couldn't possibly write for a a hallowed orchestra like the New York City Symphony. But as Damrush said, not only is he good, but he's good box office. They knew that Gershwin was already great box office, and he remains so to this day. And so Damrush asked Gershwin to write this piece. It was a great honor for Gershwin, and he was very excited to do it. He he jokingly said, well, I'll have to run out and get a, a book about concertos to know what a concerto is. In fact, Gershwin was actually a very well-trained classical artist. Uh, He'd studied piano for many years and I'm sure knew exactly what a concerto was. But he did have to go out and get some books on orchestration because he'd never actually orchestrated his own piece. If you remember, The Rhapsody in Blue was written in such a hurry that uh, Paul Whiteman's orchestrator, the band for whom the piece was written, uh, Ferdy Grofay, had to actually do the orchestration. So George just wrote it down in two piano score and Ferdy created orchestrations. In the case of the Concerto in F, George opted to do his very own orchestrations. And what I find so astounding about this piece is that this is really the first piece he ever orchestrated. And while certainly there are passages that are a little bit cumbersome, maybe, orchestrally, there's an unbelievable amount of fantasy and grace and beauty and just incredible inventive ability in the way George scores for orchestra. He opted to eschew all of the dance band trappings that had been used in the Rhapsody in Blue. No saxophones in this piece. It's really for classic 
Symphony Orchestra. The work is, of course, in the standard three-movement form, a very big, somewhat discursive first movement, which he said was based on the Charleston rhythm, a brand-new rhythm, uh, an allegro. The second movement is that astounding blues movement, Blues at Night, Andante con Moto. That's a slow-walking movement with some motion. It begins with that amazing muted trumpet and the, and the clarinets playing a, a beautiful blues tune. And the last movement is the very famous and, again, just dazzling movement, the Allegro Agitato. This is the movement that Oscar Levant made so famous in that movie, American in Paris, in which Oscar Levant not just plays the piano but ends up becoming, in his dream, the conductor, the audience, everybody under the sun, and Kevin plays it in the most astounding fashion. So here now to close our concert is George Gershwin's Concerto in F. The piano soloist is Mr. Kevin Cole, and the orchestra is the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. The Conductor's Notes podcast, featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert broadcast, is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony, and he provides commentary on the WMHT live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live. On WMHT-FM, your classical companion.